0: Your Ben Jarovski show for Thursday, January 23rd is just moments away. But before we get into this, we need to thank the following unions for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. Ben, there's a guy named Bad to the Bone Spurs on our live stream chat oh right now. Oh my God. <laughs> What's going on, Bad to who? the Bone Spurs? Hello, Wait. all longtime listener, first time chatty, Charlie. Wait, who, who sings that song, Bad to the Bone? George
2: Thorogood that's my song of the day but well, we're not there yet Holy, oh. well, you're jumping the gun
0: pal <laughs> I had another song in my mind, which was decidedly different. Well, who knows what song you'll have by the time we get (laughs) done with this read. Okay. Uh. Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, not Aerosmith. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, sponsored this program, as well as the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. A giant thank you to those unions for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. And, of course, today's Ben Jarofsky Show. Uh, featuring a live streamer Bad to the Bone Spurs is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Bad Federation the of Labor. Ben, let's hit him with that song of the day. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go in a completely different direction oh, today. Boy. Hanging around,
2: hanging around, in the <laughs> at the doo doo fruit. At the doo doo I don't believe this. At that. the doo doo froo. <laughs> Those I, are the words there. I, I can't remember the next words. At the doo-doo fruit. Do you know what song that was? No, Hanging Around. <laughs> hanging Around. Uh, da, 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 da. It's, it's not George Thorogood. That's for oh, sure. I know that. The Ben
0: Jarowski Show starts now. It is Thursday, January 23rd. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue... This is the Ben Jaroski Show. Today on the program, In These Times writer and resident Bernie bro Miles Camp Lassen of In These Times returns. And we're getting a campaign update from the Democratic third congressional district candidate herself, Marie Newman. And now your host, He's bad to the bone spurs. <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben well, Hello,
2: everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this I Love Rex Hupke Thursday, and here's why. Rex Hupke, of course, is the uh, Tribune columnist. I was reading this right before we went on the air. D was going, Focus, concentrate. The guy is so hard on me, folks. If you knew how hard he is, focus, put that bagel away. That's correct. Uh, anyway, but then I'm going to go, D, man, did you read Rex Hupke? He's hilarious. Dude is funny, man. Yeah. I'm just going to read you the opening line here. This is Rex Hopke's a columnist for the Tribune. You know, everybody knows I'm really hard on the Tribune editorial board. It's lost a freaking mind. They're so far right. They're falling off the planet. And jump shot Johnny Cass, who's the number page two columnist. He loves that MAGA hat, right? He's got that MAGA hat. He's got a little MAGA hat tattoo. But they do have some uh, liberal columnists. I got to say that Rex Hupke is very good. This dude is funny, man. Here we go. Uh, okay, it's sarcasm. I gotta explain that, you know. As the stupid impeachment trial of our amazing President Donald Trump moves forward in the U.S. Senate, there's one looming question the doggone deranged Democrats keep asking: Why don't the President and his Republican supporters in Congress want any witnesses to testify? It's as any question, of course, because the answer is simple: Because what more do you need, snowflakes? And he goes on from there. Very funny stuff. He's. <laughs> breaks up hes a fight with more come on the president says he's innocent what more do you need here's another line from today's Sun Times which was summing up uh, yesterday's uh, proceedings uh, that was going on uh, in the Senate while we were on the show uh, several GOP senators said Wednesday they'd seen no evidence to support the allegations against Trump even though just 24 hours they had rejected subpoenas for witnesses and documents. <laughs> just think about that folks for a second they'd see no evidence against uh trump yeah you haven't seen any evidence against trump because you rejected the possibility that any evidence could be presented to you it's hard to see what you say you don't want to see well if that makes sense and it does make sense anyway bizarre stuff man just believe him because we like him and we don't like you and plus we're scared of him and we tweets Trump, how many tweets did he sh- shoot off yesterday, D? It was some amazing tweets. He was in uh, Europe. And when, the, when the, the Senate proceedings were beginning, he was just firing off tweets. We're shocked about this. And in the middle of it, one of the, yeah, we were shocked. That's our, as Dennis looks We're surprised by this. That's our president. One of the tweets, of course, he took time to, uh, you know, show his support for Bernie. Every now and then he loves to show some support for Bernie in the hope that uh, Bernie bros out there are dumb enough to believe that he really cares about Bernie. And I stand up for Bernie bros, D. I say they're not that dumb yes, okay you do. yes you do. I always say that they're not as dumb as Chicago
0: voters <laughs> that's kind of a backhanded <laughs> compliment there. they're not that dumb
2: they're not as dumb as Chicago <laughs> voters okay that's even more of a ba- Chicago voters remember we're really mad at Rom, and then he put a sweater on hi hey, I'm putting a sweater on oh he's such a nice guy I think I'll vote for him
0: shout out to <laughs> Kyle Young on the live stream he says oh Ben giving a valley girl accent to mimic what sarcasm <laughs> sounds like that's kind of how I do it thank you Kyle anyway uh so
2: Uh, So Bernie bros are supposed to think that, uh, you know, whatever, uh, when Donald Trump uh, tweets out uh, something in defending Bernie, he's uh, on their side. When, of course, everybody knows uh, Donald Trump thinks that Bernie's the easiest candidate to to defeat, which is why he's trying to play that uh, rift uh, to as best he can. And that brings me to the rift itself. This has been on my mind. I can't get it off my mind. I know all my uh, friends of the Democratic Persuasion keep telling me, Ben, move on. Just forget about Hillary Clinton and what she said. But I can't, D. I just can't shake it, all right? Now, of course, this uh, we have Miles Conflassa and loves Bernie. He's going to come in, probably going to talk about the Bernie-Hillary uh, riff. We're going to talk about what's going on in Iowa right now with Miles uh, from these times. But it's just like some of the things embedded in what Hillary Clinton said, it, it just uh, rubs me wrong, particularly because I've been covering Chicago so long. So just think about it. I'm doing this off the top of my mind. Hillary Clinton said nobody likes Bernie, right? That's what she said, and he can't get anything done. And by the way, a lot of people tell me that. Oh Ben, I'm not going to vote for Bernie because he can't get things done. I've had a couple people t- say that in this very, uh, in this very room, not this room. I but think it may happen yesterday. Yes, a couple times. <laughs> ben, I'm not going to vote for Bernie because he can't get things done. Yeah, and this is something that's said about people in Chicago all the time. Well, you know, all they do is complain. They can't get anything done. This has been said for years and years about liberals, reformers, independents in Chicago. All they do is complain. They can't get anything done. And I don't like them. That's the other thing. Just like with Bernie. They don't like them, and they can't get anything done. Those are the two things. Well, first of all, number one, They don't like you if they really don't like you because you're making them look bad because you're pointing out how inconsistent whatever policies they're promoting really are. So they don't if they don't like you and it's I don't know how much they like or dislike you or really what relevance it has anyway. If they don't like you, it's because you're making them look bad. And if you can't get anything done, it's because you have no power. Bernie's to the far left of absolutely everybody in Congress and Senate, or definitely in the Senate, and so he couldn't get anything done because there was nobody any anybody, anybody, any way remotely like him in a position of power to, to ally with him. So his role was to point out the inconsistencies and failings of the, like the centrist proposals, at best, that the Democrats were putting up with, or the right of center compromises that they were agreeing to. That was the role he had. So it's like, can't get anything done? Of course he can't get anything done. He's like the one lefty guy. What do you want him to do? Like, you know what? I'm going to get stuff done by abandoning every principle I have and just agreeing to water down, diluted, centrist stuff. There, I just got something done. Call it progress. I got something done. But it's something that nobody wants done. So what's the point? It reminds me of a gentleman who will be in this room tomorrow. Is that correct? E? Young wow. Scotty Wagsback, uh, alderman of the 32nd well, Ward. will be here. Uh, France Spielman show. Shout out to the Franz billman Show. Scotty will be here. He, uh, for years and years, was an independent thorn in the side. Uh, first, Mayor Daly, then Mayor Rahm. He was the guy who was not afraid uh, to speak out against policies he disagreed with. He voted against the parking meter deal. Remember that, Dean? One of five who actually uh, dared to vote against the parking meter deal. Uh, and then he made a very shrewd and um, uh, beneficial decision. Uh, endorsement he endorsed lori lightfoot he endorsed her at a time when a lot of people didn't think she could win and guess what she won and guess what she did she made him finance chair and finance chair is a lot different than just being some guy at the back of the city council who is you know protesting against all powerful mayor suddenly has influence suddenly has clout now, before she endorsed him, a lot of the Aldermen were saying, how can you endorse him? No one likes him. Yeah, you didn't like him for the same reason nobody likes Bernie, he made you look bad. <laughs> I don't hear anybody complaining about not liking him now, you know what i saying? don't hear everybody say, he's in, by the way, Scott Waxback's a really nice guy if, if you ever Scotty. meet him. Scotty, and uh, The last thing in the world to say he wouldn't like him if he disagrees with you, <laughs> makes you look bad. Okay, you might object to that, but he's, he's a man of principle. So anyway, now suddenly he's the finance chair and lo and behold, his, his proposal, his recycling proposal, which would ban uh, certain products, is going to be passed. Oh, well, suddenly he can get things done. Isn't that a miracle? When he endorses the mayor and when he endorses his, his candidate, gets elected mayor, and he gets to be the finance chair, and his chief ally is Mayor Lori Lightfoot, he can get things done. Now, some of the things he gets done, we can applaud and appreciate others. Well, we have to wait and see. But this notion that somehow or other, if you're a critic... If you dare to speak up against the powers that be in your own party, uh, you're not likable or you can't get things done. Just points out how frivolous most politics is today. We got a great show today. Miles Conflassen will be here. Yes, as I already said uh, in these Times reporter, he just he was in Iowa last week.
0: Miles Kampflassen. Yes. <laughs>
2: uh, he was Miles was in... <laughs> uh, Yes. Or it's Camp Kampflassen, Camp, yes, get it right. Uh, he'll be in here, and uh, we'll be talking about David Sirota Gate. That's something that's on my mind. David Sirota, uh, an old buddy of mine. He's a former journalist, and now he works for Bernie. Uh, he big big write up about David in the New York Times yesterday. He's at the. Uh, Sort of the center of the bernie biden dispute over social security so a lot of political talk with miles uh, marie newman is going to be in the studio she was uh, she's on the front page well Dan, i don't want to i don't want to steal what you have to say in your news updates uh, so on, uh dude. marie newman will be here she's running uh for congress against uh dan lipinski Man, that's a showdown. Uh, That's a really bitter showdown there in the third congressional district. Sort of like, where's the Democratic Party going? Uh, That's a Democratic primary, and Lipinski is sort of the last of the uh, far right Democrats. I mean, yeah. So uh, who was it yesterday that was saying that Democrats have a big tent? Well, to keep was it uh, March? I can't remember who was in yesterday saying the Democrats have a big tent, but somebody was saying the Democrats have a big tent. I'm like, well, that's a, an enormous tent if they allow uh, uh, Danny Lipinski in there. Uh, so uh, Marie Newman will be in the studio in a little while. Uh, but before we do any of that, the young man from Alton, the man they call the Doctor,
0: with the news. Hey, were you talking about Mayor Rahm a minute ago? Yes, sir. Take a chill pill, man. No, I will do. Everybody has it going. Let's find out what's happening in Chicago and Illinois this afternoon. Our Illinois governor is on the downstate hustle today, making it two times, two times in one week that J.B. Pritzker has been out of the city of Chicago. Way to go, sir. Keep it up. <laughs> we got to talk those downstaters into that fair tax and you hanging in Chicago every day ain't going to cut it, bud. Absolutely. He began in Marion, Illinois. He visited the Heartland Kids Early Learning Center to discuss investments in early childhood education. Then he was off to my neck of the woods, the 618, to a college that I dropped out of because it was really hard, (laughs) Southern (laughs) Illinois University, Edwardsville. (laughs) He's speaking on Rebuild Illinois and investments in the school. And later, he'll be at the Vivian T. Adams Early Childhood Center in East St. Louis to once again talk about early childhood investment. So to any of our downstate listeners, yes, that portly, friendly-looking fella you saw at your local Schnook's grocery store wearing one of those <laughs> North Face, no sleevey vest things very well could have been Governor J.B. Pritzker. I'm glad he's down
2: there, aren't you? Yeah. I agree with what you said. He he's, uh, has to be a presence downstate because downstate votes are going to be key for that fair tax uh, and he has to re- allow folks downstate to know that he's their governor, too. Oh, yeah. So let's stop hanging around, just hanging around Chicago. I so, got yeah. a lot of
0: Facebook friends downstate. And uh, boy, they like making fun of Governor J.B. Pritzker. So he's got to get down there and start touring, you know?
2: Well, you know, the fair tax will help them, presumably, unless they're enormously wealthy. I know you have a lot of wealthy fan uh, friends from downstate, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Or uh, balling. Yeah. All so uh, uh, The fair tax would help them as well. But there's this notion that somehow or other the fair tax is just a Chicago thing. Uh, when, that's a notion that's promoted by the folks who are against the, the fair tax. So, uh, yeah, it's important that uh, Governor Pritzker sh- uh, show a presence. And we were giving him credit yesterday, you know, that uh, he's a little different than Bloomberg, the other uh, billionaire. And yeah. uh, that he gets out there and hustles and meets people and greets people. And so, yeah, good sign for J.B. You know, just, I'm feeling J.B. Pritzker these days, I think, as a governor. um I mean, I guess I appreciate him most of all because he cut through the uh, the reefer bill, although um, there was a story in today's paper about the CHA. We'll get into that later. As you know, there's still some uh, things that have to be tidied up with uh, the, the the legalization bill, but got to give him credit for that.
0: And uh, this will be the portion of the uh, local news segment when I would maybe refer uh, J.B. Pritzker to a nice place to eat downstate. Yeah, I can't do it. They're all awful. Chicago has the better food, without a doubt. Hope what about steak a lunch. and shake? Steak and shake, yeah, that's... <laughs> Awesome stuff there. State- Arby's. Oh, now don't get me started on Arby's. All right. <laughs> Love me some Arby's. All right. Another statewide news and get ready for a classic Ben Jirowski show interview tease after this one. We have an update on what the Chicago Sun-Times mm-hmm. and Tina Fondellas is calling the highest profile and most competitive Democratic congressional primary in Illinois the third congressional district race. Things got heated in the Chicago Sun-Times editorial boardroom on Wednesday between incumbent third congressional district congressman, lowercase d, Dan Lipinski, and challenger Marie, capital D, Newman. (laughs) And no, I'm not talking about how things get heated here in the sauna, also known as the Chicago Sun-Times Benny J. Studio. (laughs) It's really hot in here. (laughs) Who was it yesterday was peeling off? Was it Rod Sawyer? God, it's hot in here. Everybody. Yeah, Maya on Tuesday, too. It's hot in here. Here, <laughs> I'm just talking pure political tension, people. Tina Spandelas continues. Representative Dan Lipinski <laughs> is still licking his wounds over Democratic challenger Marie Newman's wish two years ago that he have a quote painful election night. Mm-hmm. During Wednesday's editorial board meeting, Newman said Wednesday that she has one regret about that remark, that she didn't say it to his face. Oh, it's on, Benny J. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, Uh, today's Sun-Times grudge rematch uh, is the headline and the story accentuates uh, this remark uh, that uh, Marie Newman... It's kind of funny that uh, Dan Lipinski... Uh, would be so offended by this remark and they made such a big deal about it in the article Let me tell you something about Lipinski The come the southwest side political organization. William Lipinski is the father He handed it off to his son Danny Lipinski allies of Michael Joseph Madigan the southwest side Democrats They play rough. They play dirty. Uh, they've been known for doing that. They tear up signs. They uh, try to intimidate the opponents uh, into um, dropping out of the race challenging petition old-school uh, Chicago machine tactics uh, on the southwest side of Chicago, And now they're crying. Oh, oh, oh Marie Newman's mean. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, it's um, it's so funny. And then they're trying. And here's the other thing: uh, Dan Lipinski, who's probably the the Democrat in, in Congress most likely to vote with Donald Trump, is accusing uh, Marie Newman of being like Donald Don, uh, John Trump. He goes, it would work for President Trump, but I don't think that's what people really want to uh, to be here." Uh, Lipinski said, "Well, they don't more than the uh, Trump." tweets and his nastiness they don't like his policies you know what about that so uh this this is a very important race from a ideological standpoint uh beyond the nastiness and the the mean remarks and that kind of
0: thing. Yes, this goes all the way back to Newman-Lipinski round one, election night 2018. With Lipinski taking a razor-thin lead, Newman refused to concede and told her supporters she hoped Lipinski was, quote, having a very painful evening. Newman told Lipinski Wednesday, quote, you deserved it because of the negative campaign tactics the Chicago Democratic political machine used against her. Newman said the remark came out of pent-up anger over the nastiness of the campaign, including push text messages in which she was accused of being anti-Catholic. Here's the quote from Newman regarding Lipinski, quote, My mom said rosaries for this guy because he was lying so much. Newman and Lipinski were asked whether uh, their relationship had improved or worsened since the 2018 election in which Lipinski faced the toughest political battle of his life. Newman lost to Lipinski by less than 3% of the primary vote. To put
2: such an emphasis on the personalities uh, and whether they like each other sort of misses the point. There's big ideological differences between the two, uh, that are worth exploring. And, um, I mean, there's bad blood all over the place in, uh, in politics. It's a competitive game. You run against somebody, you challenge somebody, they get mad at you. They hold a grudge for a long time. So, you know, just to, Just to act as though the most significant thing in the race is the bad blood between these two candidates is sort of missed the larger point uh, that Democrats have a real choice down there in the third congressional. Which direction do they want to go? Uh, Do they want to have a representative who's Democratic in name, but is an ally uh, more or less of Donald Trump? On many issues who's a little weak on issues like health care uh that's their choice to go with lipinski if that's the case uh do they want a person who's going to be more likely uh to stand with like bernie or elizabeth warren or whoever the democratic nominee is in terms of promoting uh, health care for all then marie newman is your choice so uh, you know if if you're a conservative you should go with lipinski if you're a liberal or a moderate And a moderate in terms of Democratic moderate, then you should go with Newman. And it doesn't really matter if they don't like each other. Most politicians who've run against each other, despite what, uh, you know, Rod Sawyer was saying yesterday, don't like each other. You know why? Because they ran against each other.
0: (laughs) When asked about the relationship, if it's gotten any better or worse, Lipinski said, quote, well, I can't say that it hasn't gotten any better. This past April, instead of apologizing for her election night remarks, she doubled down and made a claim that the reason that she said that it's something to do with supposedly something uh, Mr. Lipinski said and his camp had done directly against her, her children or her family.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Come on,
0: painful evening.
2: What? How is that even that bad? Yeah i mean i'm thinking of stuff that trump says every day in a tweet you know <laughs> painful evening
0: yeah, that's all the ammo lipinski's gotten in this meeting i say uh marie newman's doing okay but right the, but yeah but then like the packaging so
2: like is there a voter in the third congressional who's like i'm gonna vote for lipinski because i think marie newman is mean that's not not nice. maybe there are you know what i'm saying um what is it marge hopper when she comes to the studio talks about how the swing voters uh in wisconsin and michigan uh don't like it you know the democrats being too aggressive coming after trump or in impeachment or the impeachment is not real uh it's not a realistic concern They don't think about it and there's there's this concern that some thems have that you can't be mean you have to be nice and you have to promote a uh, bipartisanship even though there's no evidence that Bipartisan exists anywhere in any universe other than occasionally Dan Lipinski voting with Donald Trump on something like health care. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not even quite sure what Marie Newman, based on, uh, you know, what was in the story, has to apologize for.
0: Well, we're going to be talking more with Marie Newman later on today. Isn't that right, Ben? Marie Newman will be here in about uh,
2: an hour, 45 minutes. And Marie Newman uh, will be talking about all the issues. I'm going to ask her about the grudge rematch. Uh, whether see maybe she'll apologize in this show sorry dan uh but also get into some of the you know the differences the ideological differences between her and lipinski particularly on the issue of health care it's a very important issue i think that's the fundamental issue for democrats uh, that's something I agree with Marge Hopper on. Uh, that it's clear that this country is is ready to take the the next move on health care. You know, if you think of it as an evolution, Obamacare is leading to uh, Medicare for all. That was like the first step. Somehow or other, we were we were told that any kind of health care plan that would threaten the domination of the employee based insurance. Uh, private insurance plans that have existed in our country for all these years—some any step like toward, uh, away from that model was a step toward what totalitarianism, communism. The world didn't end when Obamacare uh, was passed. Now I think this country's like, oh, maybe we can take the next step. You know. So um, Marie yeah. Newman
0: coming up later, guys. Don't miss it. Finally, we got to keep tabs on our Chicago mayor. It's the mayor goes to Washington day two. Oh. Did we do day one? Yesterday. Good Lord. (laughs) Lori Lightfoot is still in our nation's capital. This morning, she spoke at the U.S. Conference of Mayors annual winter meeting. The mayor has been chumming it up with her mayoral peers. And Vendrofsky, word around D.C. is that the mayor is pretty well liked. In fact, one mayor has gone on the record saying, quote, aside from the luncheon thing, she's pretty cool. (laughs) Well, that would make her different than Bernie. Remember, nobody liked Bernie. Everybody likes Lori. Okay. She loves luncheons, everybody. For those wondering who Mayor Lightfoot is backing in the upcoming 2020 Democratic presidential primary, well, Illinois Politico was wondering the same thing. They asked her before she took off to D.C., and we have the quotes. Shout out to Illinois Politico. People, do yourself a favor. Go subscribe to it and stay up to date on all things Illinois news. Now, Ben, remember, the last time our mayor got involved in the POTUS race, you were feeling it, buddy. It was when she interviewed former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Let's see if she goes two for two. And guys, no, we're not counting the time she interviewed Hillary Clinton. How did you go from <laughs> sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, man. Good, good, good question. That was the last <laughs> oh election. Oh, Don't
2: get her started on that interview. <laughs> she said
0: about the presidential primary yeah. that it's, quote, way too soon to tell who's really going to catch fire and sustain it, but she's quick to call out glaring problems within her party. She said that sexism and a lack of diversity continue to be a major drag within the Democratic Party and something needs to be done to address it. There was a tremendous amount of sexism that permeated the Democratic side in 2016, which is supremely disappointing. A phenomenon that has her watching very closely to see how Bernie Sanders responds to criticism from Hillary Clinton that his campaign has been rife with sexism. The quote continues, there was a concerted narrative out there about Hillary that was insulting to all women, especially women in leadership, Lightfoot said of the 2016 race. I'd be lying if I didn't say women in leadership continue to face significant challenges, and it's not just some distant Republican opposition. We have to get our house in order as Democrats when it comes to opening up real opportunities for leadership on the part of women. And while she says it's too early to say which candidate clinches Democratic support, she said that the lack of diversity exemplified by the departures of Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, and Julian Castro in recent weeks is a, quote, great disappointment. The only way to counter it, the mayor said, is to engage diverse communities and give those voters a reason to care about what's happening at the presidential level. If we don't do that, we will not be successful. Lightfoot added that it's challenging that the first two contests of the election season are in Iowa and New Hampshire states that are overwhelmingly white i have have more here but go ahead i
2: agree with most what she said actually uh and if i had to read between the lines it seems like she's Gearing up to endorse Elizabeth Warren. Uh, by the way, I got in the mail today Elizabeth Warren brochure. I haven't opened it yet. I think it's a fundraising appeal. I need your help. It said, well, "How would they get my name? I'm on the Tea Party list and the Elizabeth Warren list." Uh, but no, it seems like uh, I, I would have. It seems like that's where she's heading. But uh, she makes a lot of compelling points, and uh, the lack of diversity. I, I presume she's speaking about uh, a racial and ethnic diversity uh, with the Democratic Party. I, th- I really believe whoever is the nominee should uh, nominate uh, a black woman as uh, running mate. i said we were talking about that yesterday with Rod Sawyer and, and Monroe Anderson. I just I believe that's the way to go for the Democratic Party. Uh, I think it's easy to overlook the base, and and I keep tripping over this this central question: um, Why did black voters not go to Cory Booker or Kamala Harris? And it's just like we're avoiding some central points here we talk about a lack of diversity in the democratic party uh and yet the voters who decide who the, the leaders are were are not going for the, the black candidates so each time we have a guest on the show i ask them, well why is that and you know questions all over them the answers are all over the map uh, who was it? Leticia Wallace blame me for not giving money. She was just teasing, but blame me for not giving money to uh, Kamala Harris's campaign. Um, so, yeah, the uh, I th- I believe that the fastest way the Democrats can deal with this issue, uh, obviously, a white person is going to be the nominee. So uh, it's either going to be Biden warren or uh bernie sanders in my opinion if i had to put the money down and uh in vegas uh or indiana i guess they're taking bets in indiana now um i would put well, those are one of the three candidates i think will win it and whoever it is should uh, have a black woman and uh Stacey abrams i'm feeling Stacey abrams but yeah so laurie's central point if you're going to uh ask black voters in uh milwaukee and detroit and chicago to really believe in your party you know show them a little something so
0: Right. On that. More national political punditry from our mayor. She said she's looking for a candidate to foc- uh, focus on, quote, a broad urban agenda that is centered on equity and inclusion and putting resources in cities, and said Mike Bloomberg, a latecomer to the Democratic field, has addressed some of those issues. A gesture Lightfoot sees as genuine. Okay, so there we go. I'll open uh, Diversity? <laughs> I'll open window? Throw out
2: the window, Michael Bloomberg. I mean, you know... I've not seen Michael Bloomberg uh, put forth an urban agenda. The old fashioned urban agenda that existed back in the days of the 70s and 80s when Harold Washington was mayor. uh, I I haven't seen that, you know, and I instead we have mayors from different cities competing with each other to try to bring in the Walmarts of the world, excuse me, the Amazons of the world, but with, with handouts. So I've not seen any mayor, Michael. Now I can't blame Michael Bloomberg for New York city throwing billions at Amazon, Amazon, uh, uh eventually the, the deal fell apart and Amazon didn't bring its second headquarters to New York city. So I can't blame Bloomberg for that because de Blasio was the one who did that. And, uh, Governor Cuomo, but uh, I've not seen Bloomberg or any person in this country, any mayor in this country talk uh, about bringing together an urban agenda that would force Washington to spend more money on cities, uh, particularly help cities out with educational needs. And um, I mean, Chicago, there's so much inequity in the city of Chicago. I just wrote about this for the reader. And in our public school system, we have a public school system that we're, if you're in a relatively wealthy uh, north side neighborhood, you could raise a lot of money to supplement whatever allowance the, the central office gives you. And if you're in a poor neighborhood on the south or west side, obviously the parents don't have the money uh, to supplement it. So you have to make do on your own. It's inequity right there. And I, we need more money for our public schools so that we can iron out some of these inequities. I don't see any uh, organized effort by mayors or governors to call for an urban agenda. So. You know, it's just funny. It's a little inconsistency in the part of uh,
0: maybe Mayor Lightfoot can convince you on old Bloomberg here. We have more quotes from Lightfoot about Bloomberg. All right. Uh, She says here, quote, look at his philanthropic giving. This is not a new issue. Lightfoot said he's not a newly invested person focusing on the black community. But having said that, stop and frisk is a significant issue. I don't think he's shying away from that, which I appreciate. Bloomberg and all the Democratic nominees should be judged on their larger, quote, body of work. I'm looking at the broad landscape, not just the one or two issues that get reported in the media. (laughs) Looks like, I mean,
2: I mean, you know, maybe she's going to endorse Bloomberg. Uh, Michael Bloomberg and stop and frisk. We were talking about this yesterday. Michael Bloomberg had an overnight conversion on the issue of stop and frisk uh, that occurred about the time he decided he was going to run for president. And when he was mayor of New York City, he was a big advocate of stop and frisk in which police just stopped ordinary people, most of them black on the street, whisked them away uh, to jail and figured that was a a good step on the road uh, to uh, reducing crime and uh of course it was unfair it uh was unconstitutional uh it uh, led to discrimination discriminatory patterns of law enforcement there are lawsuits filed against it uh in in the current presidential race it's sort of a kiss of death you know uh to a promoted uh, stop and frisk and uh so he's running for president as a democrat boom overnight well yeah. Oh, yeah. I was wrong in that stop and frisk. Yeah. Now you're you're saying you're wrong. Uh, so, I, you know, it's not as though um, I see an effort by Michael uh, Bloomberg to try to figure out what he should have done, what should have been done, uh, new uh, techniques and tactics and policing. It's more or less his attempt to diffuse a, an issue that could be held against him. So. Uh, Lori's uh, been drinking that Michael Bloomberg Kool Aid. There's a lot of it going around. Uh, Congressman Bobby Rush had some. Let me see if it tastes good. Oh,
0: oh, you have some, huh? Oh, what's that taste like? Really rich, I bet. <laughs> it's very, it's like really rich, sugary hot chocolate. Uh,
2: I've not been feeling the Bloomberg uh, Kool Aid, but you know, hold on. Let me try him a little more.
0: Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Remember, I was coming
2: around. I I was drinking the Kamala Kool-Aid for a while, and uh, she she stumbled on this issue herself. Uh, So she should have pulled a Bloomberg. She should have just said, I was absolutely wrong, and now I see the light. Which is, you know, okay, you've had a conversion. But on the other hand, she doesn't have billions of dollars that she could throw around. So I wonder if, uh, you know, like Lori Lightfoot would be so open-minded. Well, she
0: (laughs) saw the light, so... We have another uh, story involving Mayor Lightfoot. That That's gonna... Billion with a B. <laughs> oh. I don't have my clip ready. Oh, there!
2: I threw the ball up
0: to you, you know, for the dunk. And... I know. <laughs> Not all the alley-oops get made, you know? Uh, but no, we have a story about Lori Lightfoot uh, coming up a little later on that we'll try and read. Uh, Preckwinkle's Revenge? Oh, yes. I saw that. It was in the Tribune. Oh. mm mm-hmm. We'll try to get to that a little later on. But, Ben, we got to mention one more story here. It looks like uh, Cook County State's attorney, candidate, incumbent, Kim Fox, got an endorsement recently from R&B singer John Legend. Okay. Ben, right now, <laughs> sing us your favorite John Legend song. Um, uh,
2: There's that one that goes, I can't remember.
0: Oh, the one that goes. <laughs> I can't remember.
2: Uh, no, but I could see him singing it. I saw. I actually know who John Legend is. I just can't remember. Oh, the come song. on, I yeah. think you can think. What's can how's that song, go? song?
0: How's that song going?
2: Hanging around, hanging around. Oh, that's Nothing our song of the do. day. John Legend <laughs> sings our
0: song of the day.
2: No, but I could see him singing it. I remember him singing it. It was at a New Year's party, and I was like, "Oh, there's John Legend." But I just can't think of it right. Now. But he
0: endorsed Kim Fox. All right, <laughs> yeah. John Legend endorsing Kim Fox, live stream chat. What do you think about that? What do you think about Lori Lightfoot? Do uh, you think she's going to go Bloomberg? Yes, no. And if your comments aren't too offensive, I'll read it on the program. Yeah,
2: I uh, Lori Lightfoot and Michael Bloomberg kind of cut from the same cloth in many ways. Sort of uh, mainstream Democrats. Uh, Build themselves as the reformers. Uh, Bloomberg used to be a Republican. Lori Lightfoot was never an out-and-out Republican, uh, but her law firm took up Republican causes in various lawsuits. She represented the Republicans in a redistricting case. So a lot of similarities uh, between Lori Lightfoot and Michael Bloomberg. They're not progressives. Uh, they did not cut their teeth on the front lines of activism. Uh, they are not calling for redistribution, chopping up the pie, Uh, you know, they're, they're not going to be part of a grassroots uh, collaborative coalition anytime soon. Uh, I can't see either one of them wanting to have to do anything with Bernie. Uh, And uh, so, you know, Lori Lightfoot's already uh, signaling her distaste for Bernie uh, by concentrating on um, some of the more extreme uh, Bernie bros out there uh, who give Bernie a bad name. Uh, So, you know, uh, I see that uh, Lori Lightfoot and uh, Bloomberg have a lot in common, even if they're, mm, I'm sure, their bankrolls aren't the same. I'm yes,
1: sure. that's billion with a B. Ah,
2: well done, my man.
0: Well done. <laughs> So she has a lot in common uh, with Bloomberg. Yes, indeed. All right. We got some time here until Miles Camp joins us. So let's go to you at the YouTube live stream chat. I see you there, Sean Duffy. You a new listener? How's it going? All right. Uh, Kyle Young weighed in. Kyle says, come on, Ben, really call Bloomberg out for a cynical BS. He didn't say BS, though. <laughs> By shouting that Bloomberg is a cynical
2: BSer. Yeah, well, it's pretty cynical. I have to give you who said that, Kyle or Sean? Kyle. Yeah, well, you're right. It is cynical. It's very cynical. Uh, you know, it's funny. It's people always flip the switch. to go, well, Ben, you're cynical uh, when I point out how somebody's behavior is cynical. And, uh, but no, in this particular case, you're right. Uh, overnight, D, I remember it was like overnight. He gave, he gave a speech at a church in Harlem, I want to say. Or maybe I've, maybe it was in Brooklyn. I can't remember. It was a church, a black church uh, in New York City. And he said, I was wrong <laughs> about stop and frisk. It wasn't even like a, you know like an evolution. Like, you know, like a year before, he was at a symposium on crime and criminal justice. And he goes, you know, I've been really thinking about this. I've been reading articles about this. No. In fact, up until the moment he decided he was going to run, he was still defending stuff. So oh, you're right, Kyle. You're absolutely correct. There is something cynical about it. Um, but, you know, it's politics, man. You know, he's running as a Democrat, so he has to move away from it. So I'm going to look in the bright side. All right. I want him to. To I, I don't want the Democratic Party to be embracing st- stop and frisk. So if he realizes that his political uh, future uh, is on the line by embracing it and he uh, walks away from it for that reason, I'll accept it. Okay. Similar with health care, by the way. Look at all these candidates who won't take the strong stand on health care because they think it's not in their best interest politically speaking. If they learn, if the Democrats move so far to the left that it's clear that you have to get the nomination uh, by professing to believe in healthcare for all. You watch, Amy Klobuchar will be suddenly saying, you know, my Uncle Billy, who was a this firefighter. Is an excellent.
0: <laughs> Amy Klobuchar impression I'm hearing right now.
2: Was believed in healthcare for all, and suddenly I see the
0: light. You know, that'll happen. You know, I was wrong. Uh, I thought she was in the building, guys. Whoa. <laughs> ben, you are going to believe this. Rex Hupke has responded on Twitter. He's listening. Wow.
2: Rex right on man that was some funny stuff he
0: said wow i've only ever celebrated i hate rex hubkey thursday this is even more fun <laughs> appreciate the kind words ben oh,
2: you're welcome rex it was funny man i was again it was true true story i'm sitting here it was about five minutes to one dennis is yelling at me rex if you know dennis you know what he's like hurry up pay attention we got kyle on the line man and um no i'll do it my valley girl call. hurry up yeah that's me yeah <laughs> Uh, anyway, so he's like, I'm, I, but, man, are you, re- Rex Hupkey's hilarious, man. I'm laughing out loud. He goes, stop concentrating on a get down to business.
0: Shout anyway. out to our good friend, Pat Whalen for keeping us uh, current in the moment on the Ben show. the the
2: legend, Pat Whalen.
0: Where's he doing that show, D? He does the sh- uh, the show at uh, Can, right?
2: The Can Studios. Mm, I love how you're uh, on top of things. I think he's got it coming up next week. I want to say Can TV. Yes, next uh, week. Brianna Whalen, a different Brianna than the one online, uh, will be his partner in crime at that show. We got to get him in the studio and talk about it.
0: And we got to get Rex Hupke on the program as well. Right, I'm gonna
2: reach. I'm gonna get my producer who uh, books our shows to. Uh, to Who's that? that? Me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, let's see here. Going back to the YouTube live stream chat. Thanks again, Rex, for weighing in. That was awesome. Uh, Brianna Wade in here. Uh, she has a great question. Well, first off, she says, sounds like Lori Lightfoot is endorsing Bloomberg. Elites of a feather stick together. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but then I
2: I don't know. I kind of sense a little Elizabeth Warren uh, in it, too. So it looks like she's covering her bases. She's ready to go either way. But one thing is for certain, doesn't look any love for Bernie there. Okay, man. I'll tell you what uh perfect timing miles is in the suit to get his thoughts on what whether laurie life would ever endorse bernie it's so clear um that uh the mainstream of the democratic party and i guess if you're the mayor of the city of chicago you constitute mainstream of uh, the democratic party really doesn't want i know that doesn't sound that radical but they really don't want bernie Sanders. Uh, to be the nominee and it's be curious if he wins the nomination how are they going to respond i always say this i put it in print they always tell me ben hold your nose and vote for whoever the democrat is and i always do that miles i always vote we'll see if the laurie lightfoot's of the world practice what they preach
0: and brianna asks a really good question since we're talking about booking people on the show brianna says hey winner atiba buchanan and david seaton and mark sims returning to the show uh Excellent
2: question. Mark Sims will be returning next week. Thank you for asking. I love Mark Sims. I was just talking to him last night. And I, I Atiba, David. Let's bring him back next week as well. I love them because uh, there's uh, a Buchanan is one of the most knowledgeable people I know about uh, Trump and impeachment. Uh, and David Seaton knows a lot of stuff, too. But he's also to the right a little bit. He's not afraid to, uh, you know, let his Joe uh, Biden uh, flag fly. So love having him on a little bit of an ideological debate when they're on. So get him on for next week. So
0: there you are. That's what's going on locally. Shout out to everybody on the YouTube live stream right now. If you're listening on the download, boy, you are missing out on the party that we have Tuesdays through Friday. Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. You should join us live sometime. And hey, everybody, don't forget, Marie Newman coming up a little later on. Make sure to download that if you're listening on the download as well. Miles Campflassen is next. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture.
1: Thank you, Chicago, for this humbling victory. All I can say, you sure know how to make a guy feel at home.
2: At Chicagoland Cremation Options, we are committed to listening, educating, and guiding your family through the cremation process. Whether it is time of death or when planning your wishes for the future, Chicagoland Cremation Options can accommodate you at an affordable price and with great dignity. Avoid funeral home costs with direct access to a crematory for a cremation. Chicagoland Cremation Options. Just south of O'Hare, five minutes west of Chicago. It's a family-owned, business, and operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Visit it at ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time, ChicagolandCremationOptions.com.
0: We got to get down to business. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live
2: from the Chicago Sun-Times. Miles Conflason in the studio in these times. uh, Ace reporter. Also unabashed Bernie supporter. Uh, We didn't have any Bernie supporters in the studio yesterday, D. It was um, Elizabeth Warren Day on the Ben Jarofsky Show yesterday. And Joe Biden Day. Oh, yeah. Uh, And I just have to tell you this, Miles, the way it goes. uh, In our little world, uh, most of our listeners who... Follow us uh, on the live stream, our Bernie supporters. Um, <laughs> not a lot of Joe Biden supporters out there uh, in Ben's listener land. And, uh, not a I don't lot... think they're on many live
1: stream platforms.
2: But uh, the no, Biden the Biden supporters. Yeah. Yeah. They're That's too busy guess. running the world. <laughs> uh, and We had Rod Sawyer in the studio, Alderman of the Sixth Ward. He supports Joe Biden. He was explaining why he supports Joe Biden. Uh, Marge Halpern was in the studio yesterday in Invisible Chicago. Uh, she was she was wearing a big Elizabeth Warren button uh, right on cue. Uh, by the way, got an Elizabeth Warren uh, fundraising a solicitation in the mail so uh i'll maybe share that with you later in the show um but everybody's down on bernie in the party and dennis the astute observer always says it's because he's in the top of the poll so they're turning on him they ignore him when you know they just try to pretend he's not there just so like when
0: biden was on top touchy feely gate
1: mm <laughs> What? You know what I'm talking about, Miles. There was a lot of, uh, you know, clips of him right, right oh, after Oh, touchy-feely, yes, you know. very good, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. T- a lot Biden... of shoulder touches yeah, and things yeah. like that. Although, t- if you watched yesterday, there was an interaction with a reporter that was also touchy-feely, but not in that way. You know, a reporter asked him. If, Ask uh, Biden. Ask Biden, wh- why, why are you still going after Bernie? You know, because he apo- cause Bernie Sanders apologized over the corruption thing, which we can get into, you know, the accusations of Joe Biden being corrupt. Um, But Joe flipped out at this uh, reporter and just screamed why, 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 why in his face and then, you know, kind of uh, uh, grabbed him a little bit. It was a very strange, strange scene. Mm -hmm. Um, This was just yesterday. So another addition to the touchy feely gate. But anyway. Uh,
2: So anyway, yeah, obvious what Dennis's point has always been as soon as you go ahead in the polls, they come after you. Uh, and so they're really coming after Bernie these days. So I guess that's a good sign for the, yeah. the Bernie Sanders campaign.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that it? there's no shock that. And there was just a report out today, which I don't know how valid it is, but um, that uh, former President Obama might be, be uh, moving towards weighing in to uh, try to. Pro- blunt the momentum of Bernie Sanders, who he sees, you know, as kind of a threat, not necessarily to his legacy, but to the, you know, Democratic Party establishment more broadly. That report came out from Fox Business and it was through Obama Associates. So I think there's a question of whether people close to Obama would turn I don't know a lot of big words. Blunt the momentum.
0: That's not good, is it?
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I think that it means that he wants to, you know, (laughs) do something to stop Bernie from, you know, running away with the nomination. I don't know if that's true. Of course, Politico Politico reported before that- um, Obama had talked to advisors about that previously, you know, potentially getting involved in the race. You'd think that, you know, if Barack Obama was really concerned about this Primary, you know, turning the Democratic Party in a direction he found objectionable, the way he would interject would not be through campaign or or through aides talking to Fox Business. It would be through him endorsing his former vice president who's in the race, who he, you know, still is not done. Of course, Joe Biden's explanation for that is I asked him not to, which to me is mind boggling because either it's a lie or it's the stupidest move possible. Why would you not want Obama's endorsement in this primary? So, anyway, but yes, I think. not to. No, I don't want your endorsement even though it would pretty surely guarantee me the yeah, nomination. It's it's wild. But I think that of course this is the the case Dennis is totally correct. This is what happens, you know, when dynamics of the race changes, Oppo dumps come down, you know. The thing about this is that the opposition research that they're dumping or the, you know, the attacks are just so, you know, without substance, there's very little to them. I mean, Hillary Clinton coming out and saying nobody likes him and, you know, it's all a bunch of baloney and he has no accomplishments. It just rings of this same kind of Washington elitism we're so familiar with, where by nobody, she means nobody in the political elite class, nobody that she, you know, surrounds herself with, the kind of donor class, the punditry, the people that pervade this Washington establishment, this Washington establishment the voters are rightfully fed up with because they see it again and again uh, turning its back on them in order to benefit the same type of, you know, business interests that have always dominated Washington. So, you know, when she says that, that's not, that's why this I like Bernie hashtag went crazy on Twitter because, you know, it's the same thing as when she called Trump's supporters deplorables. It's like, you know, people seize on things like that. They don't want, voters don't want to be insulted and certainly not from somebody they see as, you know, out of touch from them. The other thing about that, you know, I know you talked about it earlier on the show, but we should just correct the record a little bit here, because I think so much of this comes from a sense of resentment, you know, that Bernie Sanders somehow cost Hillary Clinton the election in 2016, or that he, you know, didn't do enough. And because of that, uh, you know, we need to relitigate that again right now. I, it's hard to you square that with the facts, you know. Bernie Sanders did 40 campaign events for Hillary Clinton after he endorsed her in states across the country back in 2016. Hillary Clinton did less than she, she did about 12 for Obama in 2008. So he did almost, you know, 10 times as many events for her as she did for Obama. In terms of the supporters, in 2008, 20, and you know this, 25% of Clinton primary voters went on to vote for John McCain, whereas uh, one only one in 10 Bernie voters went on to vote for Trump. So that narrative about, you know, Bernie voters went for Trump, it just does that's, you know, a historic low in terms of the primary voters for one candidate that then went on to support uh, the Republican, of course, he Bernie also famously discouraged from focusing on her corruption scandal. You know, he said nobody cares about your damn emails. He treated that primary as you know just sticking to the issues, the same way he's doing it with Joe Biden, and not trying to have it as some type of referendum on the personal character. Um, so to me, all of this, you know, the saying that this is about. Uh, the way that Bernie Sanders, you know, uh, operated into 2016, it just doesn't square with how that, you know, he worked relentlessly. Just look at the clips. You know, there's clips of Rachel Maddow just praising Bernie Sanders for barnstorming across the country to try to get Hillary Clinton elected. And for her to now say she potentially won't support him if he's the Democratic nominee. I mean, I know she's kind of walked that back a little bit, but even to raise that possibility, it just calls into question all of these appeals to unity you always hear from the Democratic establishment, you know, saying we got to get behind behind the nominee no matter what. Well, here you have the previous nominee saying she's not sure she's going to do it. If it's Bernie Sanders, simply over political differences, not because of you know any. Re- I don't even know if it's reason.
2: political differences. It, it may be personal. I mean, we'll get into that because I want to sure. get your thoughts on why you think this is happening. But yes, uh, <laughs> no matter how many times I point out, and by the way, all those. Uh, Uh, Reports about how who Bernie Sanders supporters voted for in the 2016 presidential election and who Hillary Clinton supporters voted for in the twenty in the 2008 election are estimations based on uh, election day polls. Yeah, uh, vote actually polls. So there's no substantial way of proving it one way or another. All right. Uh, So that's really important to put that out there. Having said that. That's what the exit polls show yeah and i live through this miles my goodness <laughs> i'm always finding myself in this position where i'm trying to defend the democratic nominee to some group of outright presidential nominee uh some outraged group of democrats would be democrats who are just, i'm not voting them for this and so in 2008 i got into so many arguments with Hillary clinton supporters who just told me flat out no way they're voting for barack obama they cannot tell and this is even after sarah palin was the nominee yeah. and an extreme right winger that mccain uh, had put on the ticket and probably led to trump so this notion that democratic losers of a primary uh have bad feeling toward the winner they're acting as though it began with bernie sanders in 2016.
1: Yeah. Uh, and this is the other way around i mean hillary clinton won and it's still there's so much anger at bernie sanders at the bernie sanders supporters as if they were what cost hillary clinton the election you know this is just it's just not backed up by any of the data from you know how the, the campaign went and look at today i mean not only did in that primary bernie sanders got more support from young people than hillary clinton and donald trump combined but even now women are more likely to support bernie sanders than trump so the claim that this is all you know it's just a bernie bro movement around uh sanders is just not substantiated well and here- i understand because people feel that way but it's just not backed up all right you know? here's but but here's the the point that we'll, and we'll
2: bring out Lori lightfoot's comments a little while get you sure. respond to him, but there is uh, a voice a bernie voice uh, on twitter the bernie bros and uh, you know that's very strong and very passionate uh and uh in some cases over the line misogynist and there's no denying that and uh so the objection that Lori lightfoot was kind of suggesting uh that elizabeth warren has hinted at uh that hillary clinton has hinted as that bernie sanders has not done enough to either uh, demand that his supporters clean up their behavior or distance himself uh from his uh more misogynist supporters what's your response to that
1: well i I don't think that there's any situation in which Bernie Sanders has aligned himself with misogynist supporters of him. I mean, I think that you can disavow that type of rhetoric and behavior. Um, I would it's hard to, you know, of course, you're very right. There's people online that act poorly. You know, these are they might call themselves Bernie Sanders supporters. They might call themselves surrogates. You know, anybody can declare themselves whatever they want, but they're not officially part of the campaign and people I attacked all the time online by supporters of other candidates. You know, it's not as if <laughs> I like true. everyone, everybody's hands are yeah. clean in this fight. And yet, I mean, I understand people get upset and you know, people should not be acting poorly online. I think the, the, Twitter is often a toxic hellscape and that it brings out the worst in people and that the economy of social media rewards bad behavior and rewards fighting. That is not representative, though, of the actual Democratic electorate or of, you know, the where the country is. I think Twitter is a powerful tool, helps to push out information. Of course, it's great for journalists to pick up on stories and everything. It's great for organizing skills as well to build up, you know, coalitions, things like that. But it is not politics. You know, politics does not happen that way. I've been at the doors, you know, I, I, I do camp canvassing. I do outreach. I do organizing work outside of journalism as well. And I will tell you that, you know, talking to people in real life, in their homes, you know, at their doorsteps, you get a completely different view of how people are, uh, you know, experiencing this primary campaign, that they're responding to issues and policies that dramatically and directly impact their lives. And it is not, you know, highfalutin arguments. And I'm not hearing, you know, people who tell me that they support Bernie Sanders talking about how they won't support you know, it's, it's not. That type of, I understand what you're saying, and I do, of course, personally disavow misogynist behavior. I think Bernie Sanders would too, if somebody brought up to, you know, Senator Sanders. Uh, claim that a supporter of his had made that was outrightly outrightly offensive, I'm sure he would disavow it. I just don't know what the ask is, you know, in terms of how he could be operating better. What he did just do is he even disavowed Zephyr Teachout, who is a widely respected lawyer. You know, she penned this op-ed in The Guardian mm-hmm. about how Joe Biden has a corruption problem, you know, and it wasn't about his personal failings or anything. It was about how Joe Biden has a history of his family benefiting directly from his political legislation and not just his his family, corporate donors, people Mm -hmm. that backed his campaigns in Delaware, you know, these are, this is the home, you know, credit card behemoth in in Delaware. These companies are being lavished with, you know, tax breaks and positive legislation after they've donated to Joe Biden's campaign. Zephyr Teachout has, you know, fought uh, tirelessly against corruption, and she put out this op-ed that then, you know, got uh, put out by a campaign surrogate. It's not as if Bernie Sanders wrote this op-ed, but I think it was completely factual, you know, what she wrote. But he disavowed it because he said, you know, I don't want people to um, think that I'm calling Joe Biden corrupt. You know, he was like, I, I want to focus on the issues." So Sanders, I think, has a long history of disavowing behavior. He personally finds objectionable. I just don't know what more is, you know, he should do in in terms of, of reigning in uh bad supporters online, because I don't think see other candidates doing that either, oh. and I'm often on the other side okay. of it before
2: we... I, I'm just going to, before uh, I move to my next question, just say, I happen to be very cynical uh, in this regard. No, wait, time out. That's, I, I'm not the cynical one. I'm just calling other people cynical. I have always a little issues uh, when some, uh, a supporter of one candidate uh, goes over the line and rips the opposition... And then the candidate himself. said, that hey, wait a minute! I always believe that it was orchestrated by the campaign. Uh, So that's when I hear you say what you just said. I just kind of that's where I'm coming. I'm like, uh, sounds like the Bernie Sanders campaign uh, had uh, Zephyr write this, uh, or the issue is did Zephyr run the essay by the Bernie Sanders campaign before release, and then they disavow it. But I'm going to take it a different direction, uh, and. Follow up on this point. There was an essay in the in the Sun Times by a conservative columnist, Essie Cup, uh, who has no uh, candidate that she supports. She's a conservative, although yes. she hates Trump, uh, and she was mocking Democrats who are upset because, lo and behold, a political fight is breaking out in the primary. And her point was, it's a primary. Uh, this is what happens in primaries. It gets ugly. All right, then you have to bring the party together, but that's—it's a primary. Jimmy Dore, who I'm a fan of—I don't agree sure. with everything he says—but uh, Jimmy Dore has a podcast. He's to—he's uh, to the left, and I find him enlightening in many ways. He's always going on and on about how Bernie <laughs> Dennis doesn't allow me to swear. Should just say, fuck "You <laughs> Biden, you're yeah. a scumbag." Yeah. Just tell like it is, and he says Trump showed it works. I don't know if you've ever heard Jimmy yeah. Dore in this. He, yeah, he yeah, these yeah. riffs, he goes on. Trump, now, all the Republicans hated Trump. They were afraid of Trump. Uh, no, no, they hated Trump. They denounced Trump. He won by denouncing them. And now what? They love him. Ted Cruz is afraid Chris Christie, of him. Yeah. Marco Rubio. Yeah. Marco. All standing by him, uh, voting to yeah. deny uh, evidence at the impeachment trial. We even talked impeachment. Yeah. yeah. We'll get to it. But so. You know,
1: maybe Bernie should stop disavowing Mm -hmm. the Zephyr teach-outs of the world or David Sororio's of of the world. I I kind of agree. I mean, he certainly hasn't disavowed Sororio. He's still on the campaign. But I do. I mean, I kind of agree. I think that everything in that uh, bed about Joe Biden should be fair game, because I will tell you one thing. if. Bernie Sanders does not bring it up. If Elizabeth Warren doesn't bring it up, if another candidate doesn't, you know who will. Donald and J. Trump. And, and it's going to be Trump. And it's not, look, we haven't even talked about Hunter Biden. And I'm not just talking about Burisma. Just there's so many, you know, personal issues with hunter biden we know he's you know refusing to pay child support for this you know after this paternity test revealed he was the um father of this you know stripper from the dancer from the strip club he's also you know long history with alcohol and drugs and everything and you know these are his personal issues i think that those are Personal issues, but they will not be treated as personal issues by Donald Trump. And this is going to be a major challenge, you know, for Joe Biden if he is the nominee of dealing with this. And we see how he responds to the lightest bit of criticism. I mean, this is why I brought up that um, response to the interviewer earlier where he's screaming, wagging his finger, saying, why, why, why? Because that's, you know, (laughs) that's over the lightest thing of, 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 Bernie Sanders just dinging him on his obvious record of pushing social security cuts for over 40 years of his career. I mean, that's one thing you have when you have these candidates, both Sanders and uh, Biden that have been in public life for decades is you have a long record of receipts of where people have stood on the issues. And there's no denying that Joe Biden has pushed cuts to Social Security. He's pushed raising the t- retirement age. He's pushed um, chain CPI, you know, different calculation of benefits just under Obama. This is an ancient history. This is very recent. And so when, uh, you know, Sanders brings up these points about Biden and people freak out and say, you know, let's not attack one another. We need unity. We need to, you know, be strong. That's not how primaries operate. You you actually do uh, investigate and interrogate the records of the candidates, so you figure out who is the strongest one. And when it comes to facing Donald Trump in a general election, it's very difficult for me to uh, believe that you know Biden is any better prepared to take on the uh, abuse that is certainly going to come his way. Now, I don't agree with exactly how you know you and Jimmy Dore might characterize how. Bernie should go after Biden, but I think that it is a completely fair game to talk about these conflicts of interest he's had and his record yeah. cutting social programs, not just Social Security, but Medicare and Medicaid as well. So, I mean, that's that's how I feel about it. I think this has been a very light, you know, primary has not been much fighting actually over uh, in between campaigns. I think it's partially positive because we've had these like in-depth discussions over the future of healthcare and even foreign policy and trade policy and bigger issues rather than the Republican primary you remember from 2016 which was a lot of little Marco and that kind of stuff. Well, you know what I'm going to do. I I, I keep threatening that uh, I tell Dennis I'm going to go back and
2: watch the debate. I'd love to write a story about it the the Republican debate from 2016.
1: It's uh, just a contrast. The Republicans. Yeah. It's, it's kind
2: of faded from my memory. I remember watching it back in the well. In the Hill one. Top. The reason
1: I'll just say, if you look back, this is what I would say. You know, I've rewatched some of that stuff, and you know what you see time and again is Donald Trump saying. I'm gonna get everybody health care. I'm never gonna cut your benefits. I'm you know, NAFTA was a mistake. I'm gonna fight that. These are terrible deals. I'm gonna get you better deals. Talking about himself as, you know, an advocate for the working class and saying no more of this, you know, elite Washington consensus. He hasn't followed through on any of that. Yeah. He's betrayed workers every step of the way. And, you know, what I think what what voters chose in that situation was somebody who said they were gonna, you know, break the Washington consensus and suddenly and start fighting for them for a change. That's what voters Want and when I, you know, have talked to voters, which I've talked to a lot of them. They are excited by the idea of universal health care. They're excited by the idea of canceling student debt. They're excited by the idea of actually, you know, dealing with climate change in a way that protects jobs and you know raises wages. So these are the kind of things that I think are going to actually be beneficial for the Democrats to occupy that space rather than what joe biden is selling which is a return to normalcy
2: well i i uh, again i'm i have a more cynical interpretation <laughs> uh not surprising i've been covering chicago politics longer than you um what what donald trump approved in uh, in 2016 is that uh politicians are more generally rewarded for lying yeah and that the public really isn't paying attention that much. They're not looking at the record. They don't look at the substantive uh, proposals that they come out with. Uh, They fall for propaganda and commercials and tweets. And that's where we're at. It's been that way. I mean, you take tweets out of that sentence. It's been that way my whole adult life. It's that way in Chicago. Uh, it, it, this is what I was getting at before you came on the show when when I was comparing uh, the attitude toward Bernie with the attitude toward Scott Wagesback. Mm. Scotty Wagesback for years was an independent alderman in the Chicago City Council whose most significant role and was a very important role would be to point out the problems and the inconsistencies and the inequities and the waste in whatever dumb idea the mayor was proposing pushing okay Mm -hmm. and he would get nowhere because the mayor had all the power and uh as a in response the mayor's aldermanic supporters said he was mean they didn't like they say the thing about carlos ramirez rosa right now he's mean we don't like him he can't get along with people now scotty is uh the finance chair his ally is the mayor He has power. I don't see anybody complaining about his personality. Mm -hmm. Do you get what I'm saying? So what's my point? My point is that if you have the power, you get away with just about anything. People aren't holding you accountable. I'm trying to think the last mayor in the city of Chicago that was held accountable. For uh, the closest we have is Rom for hiding the Laquan McDonald tape, and he guess he decided he wasn't going to run again. But he got to uh, live out his last four years doling out tiff deals
1: left and right. So. One well, now, he's making you know massive money as a Wall Street, you know, investment banker. So yeah, it's isn't not... a,
2: and it's interesting. I'm Just on a point here, a tangent within a tangent, his corporation counsel, the one who advised him on uh Laquan McDonald, uh, gave money to Buttigieg. Buttigieg returned it, like, oh my god, I can't take this. Money. Remember that? Yeah. And but the whole body is saying, uh, meanwhile, Rom gets
1: to go on ABC, you know, yeah, exactly. He, so he, there's a lot of there as I've talked about a lot. There's a lot of failing upward in the in in you know in politics. You know you, you, you rather than being reprimanded or punished in any way, you're rewarded. You know by that type of bad behavior. The only people you know in Illinois politics, as as we know, has really faced some you know kind of punishment is Rob Blagojevich, who's still uh, you know sitting in uh, more uh, and more. Prison. I think it's
2: totally bogus, and I don't like Rod Blagojevich
1: no. as a politician. I never supported it. I mean, I voted for
2: him, but I never, once he was off, he I didn't have a good relationship. But that is. So bogus. Yeah. That's the one thing I wish
1: Trump would do. Would <laughs> let Blagojevich out of prison. He holds it. Always holds You always like dangles it and then pulls it back. That's why you know. There's a lot of I, it's. When people try to you know defend Trump and say he's you know he's uh, he's on the side of Blagojevich, that's something Look, he you know who he pardoned? He didn't. He has not pardoned Rob Blagojevich. He pardoned Sheriff Joe Arpaio, this you know virulent racist down in Arizona who held people in actual chain gangs, you know down at his prison. So I think that should tell you everything you need to know about Donald Trump's priorities. You know. All right, let's have a
2: little fun with David Sirota at his expense. David is an old pal of mine. Uh, we did a story together a few years back. Uh, he was an investigative reporter for many years. He's probably listening to this right now. Uh, he won't come on the show, but he, he'll listen and give me a hard time every now and then. <laughs> uh, he went left
1: journalism and took a job with Bernie as, I don't know what his title is. He's I like, think he's the speech writer, but that, writer. He, you know, as he says, Bernie writes his own speeches. So he's more of a researcher, if anything. So I don't know if you know David Sorota. I've known him for a while. David Sorota talks really fast
2: and thinks really fast. He talks like this, I'm David Sorota. Okay, so I think his main job is to like absorb all the tweets that come out yeah. and then like shoot out tweets. I'm David Sorota, here, cause am tweet. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Guys, good impression. Thank you.
2: Wow, I got a compliment on an impression. <laughs> hey, uh, now you have two good ones. <laughs> (laughs) Anyway, so uh, I'm on his mailing list. Uh, He writes these, uh, I think it's four times a week, Mm -hmm. I wanna say, four or five times a week. I don't don't get as many uh, uh, Sirota emails as I do his tea party. I get four or five a day at least from the tea party. So uh, come on, Sirota, pick up the pace. Uh, But uh, they're generally, uh, they're very critical of Biden and uh, Sirota is supposed to be in the back rooms of the campaign. And, you know, that's how it goes. Spokespeople are not supposed to be the prominent. They never supposed to eclipse the candidate. But his name uh, and then he always closes. I have to say this
1: a burn after reading. I always get a kick of that. And mm-hmm. after do you ever do you get them? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So these are these are basically kind of uh, campaign newsletters in a way. But they're often used to push back against. Media narratives, and I think that they do serve a you know function for the campaign, for supporters, and for just general voters, because it's a way to directly engage with voters, not having to go through the traditional mechanisms of getting into mainstream media. And frequently, they are critical of how mainstream media yeah. uh, approaches this campaign, which, as we have talked about at the top of the show here, is tends to be very critical towards Bernie Sanders. So having some way to directly engage is uh, helpful, I think, for so a mainstream
2: media sort of fought back yesterday. The New York Times a big uh, feature on David yeah. Sirota with a picture of him and everything. Uh, and it, it was very interesting because Sirota represents, I, I can kind of appreciate where he's at, you know, somebody who's been in mainstream journalism or has written as a conventional journalist, but l- sees what the game is and has disdain for it. Because let's face it, there is a bias against the Bernie Sanders of the world yeah. in mainstream. We all know it exists, Miles. Uh, like you work for a lefty publication. I work for an alternative newspaper. Mm-hmm. So like we're given freedom yeah. to write a- a- articles about things like inequity and stuff. But if you work for a mainstream newspaper, it's always like, even if you do a climate change, well, you know, uh, the Trump people say blah, 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 yeah, blah. You gotta blah. give the, you gotta, the, you gotta to play it. that game, mm-hmm. you know, so they can push it right and right till it's utterly absurd. They're falling off the planet. Yeah, And I think a guy like Sirota sees that and it's like, this is madness. And Bernie Sanders is a huge... That's his actually. When I think about the many disadvantages Bernie has, other than the fact that he's old and he had a heart attack, etc., I think that's probably the biggest one he's got going against him.
1: Well, I think that that's, as people have discussed as well, I think that that could end up being somewhat beneficial in that, you know, one of the most distrusted institutions in American life is still the media. Um, I think that that is, is that partially, right. I haven't yeah. seen a poll on that. And wow. I think that that's partially because of all this, you know, talking about, you know, fake news and everything and, you know, the Donald Trump's Stirring up Wait, Is it more the disliked
2: dis, uh, than the Congress?
1: No, Congress is still okay, I think, I was number one. Say. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, but the you know the irony of that is people do like their Congress person, but Congress as a whole they hate, you know, because they, they And of see course, <laughs> people love their local newspaper writer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, um, but because of that, you know, people understandably are also outraged at how you know the media covers things and see it as you know representing. Different values than they have. And you're right about the, there's a big difference between local journalism and what people see as more mainstream and corporate journalism. And I think that's similar to what uh, David Sirota is You know, Sirota is an re- re- award-winning investigative journalist who's written across the board, you know, International Business Times most recently, but also Pando Daily. He was uh, uh, he wrote for in these times for a long time. He had a syndicated column. I mean, this is not somebody who has no experience working as a, uh, um, a working journalist. And he, I think you're right. He saw the landscape. And we should also note that he was. He worked for Bernie Sanders back when Bernie Sanders was in Congress um, back in the '90s, actually. So um, he has got a long-term relationship with. Um with the senator. And I think that that has something to do with, you know, why he got brought on at this stage. And he just has a, you know, he sees how the game is played online. You're right, in terms of how people, how narratives get built up, especially on Twitter. And there's the mainstream of the Democratic Party is on the defensive right now in terms of protecting the interests that have always animated uh, the modern Democratic Party, which are about defending corporate power at the expense of working people. And I think obviously there's plenty of uh, yeah, you know, uh, uh, people that operate outside of that box. Bernie Sanders being one. AOC, Rashida Tlaib. Elon Omar. We're seeing a whole new generation of them. We're seeing all these left challengers running for yeah. office now that are fighting against that type of, uh, you know, dominant narrative that has been, uh, you know, superseded politics of both parties for so long. Um, and Sirota has definitely tapped into that because he's covered a lot of these left wing campaigns and the, you know, efforts to have a more redistributive uh, and equitable politics in America. Well, and yeah, I think you're onto something there because typically uh,
2: Democrats uh, look to the mainstream media to sort of support them uh, when they when they call it. The, the notion is if you play the game fair, mm-hmm. uh, if you're honest as you can be, uh, the mainstream media will sort of support or endorse your general claims if they just like objectively siphon through the evidence and so, say, well, this person makes a good point. Uh, and that will have a resounding impact And what Trump showed in 2016 is that he is, he and his campaign were greater than the mainstream media, Mm -hmm. because so much of the mainstream media and their just conventional reporting was constantly showing, like how Trump. uh, I just think of one New York Times article after another about Trump's bankruptcies, his business failings, Uh, and then uh, the Access uh, Hollywood tape emerged. And the guy won anyway. And so suddenly it's like the mainstream media really doesn't matter that much. And so Bernie's like, F that man! I'm blowing it up. I'm going
1: outside it. Exactly, and I think it fits in with a long term. And you'll see You see that in all the videos his campaign is producing more than any of these other campaigns. They have massive amounts of views. These are you know videos they create, speaking directly to voters. But I mean, back when he was mayor of Burlington, he had like a public access show yes, where he, he just did. like talked to voters, which have is you ever seen it? It's very strange to watch. Yeah, uh, <laughs> oh my, a little bit embarrassing at times. He should uh, accentuate
2: that. I don't know, there's uh, something uh, funny about it. You know, when I'm talking to little kids. When yeah. Did you know? And it's like yeah. the kid is, who is this guy? But I think
1: that's, I mean, that goes to show somebody that it wants to um, kind of work around the traditional barriers that are set up by the media structure in America. And that's been one thing that Bernie Sanders, he's written for In These Times about it. Bernie Sanders has long written about these are the challenges facing people that are, you know, advocating a politics that is not mainstream, you know, mm-hmm. outsider politics, not, you know, uh, kind of the independent approach to viewing policy making. There's just so many barriers that are in place right now that prevent those voices from being heard. Uh, And now we're starting to see, you know, Shows like this, but also, of course, there's things like Jimmy Dore and Kyle Kalinsky and even now, like The Hill has the Rising with Crystal Ball, who's a really great uh, leftist pundit. You know, there's there's different avenues to getting that uh, that out, and mm-hmm. I think that what the Sanders campaign is building is a way to do that through a presidential campaign. And I think what's important about it too is that it's not just you know David Sorota talking to you all the time. It's especially the videos they put out are centering the voices of the people least talked about in our society, and these are generally poor, you know, working class people, people of color, people, you know, he had an incredible video about the amakali workers. These are undoc- largely undocumented Latin workers in Florida that are picking tomatoes that have just faced so many abuses that organized and fought back and won new rights. I mean, these are the kind of campaigns that we rarely see represented in any mainstream media and yet you know when you can use a presidential campaign to provide a platform to uh, amplify those voices I think that shows a different approach to how media and politics intersect and I think that that's a hopeful thing about what's happening right now is that there are new avenues to uh, to get that kind of word out. Alright Miles, I my next guests are in the studio. It's getting kind of crowded in this studio. We can
2: probably have a, a poker game or something uh, and uh, we're going to bring them on but before we do uh, I want to give you uh Opportunity, anything, articles you want people to know yeah, so, about? Yes uh,
1: uh, I just, uh, we just published an uh, article I edited uh, yesterday by Max Wicke, who's a long a progressive economist, worked at the Economic Policy Institute for a long time that really goes into detail, um, kind of demystifying this debate over Social Security between Joe Biden and uh, Bernie Sanders. Oh, so, man, we need to talk about that it's <laughs> next week. Um, yeah, so I, I really recommend uh, people check that out. Uh, we have a number of uh, really great articles on the uh, web. Right now, we also in these times is now partnering with a new podcast. Well, it's a podcast that's been around for a while, but the partnership is new. It's called Working People and it's hosted by uh, Maximilian Alvarez. And it's a really great kind of Studs Terkel like podcast where he just talks directly to working people across the country about the issues that they're facing in their daily lives. So we just started up that you can see you can find that uh, through our website as well. So please. Uh, check that out. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Miles K. Lassen. Um, and yeah, we'll talk and that's L A S S I N. That's
2: right. And don't be mean at the tweets you sent them. all right? Uh, <laughs> I, can, I can handle <laughs> you it. You can handle it, <laughs> all right? All right, Miles, thank you very much. Every Thursday on my show, Miles comes in and we talk to issues today. I guess next week we'll take a deep dive on Social Security. And another thing that nobody ever talks about, the, we always talk about the, the divide between uh, Bur- uh, Bernie and Joe Biden and Social Security. How about the one on Elizabeth Warren and Biden on the bankruptcy bill? That's something oh, yeah. that doesn't get nearly as oh, yeah. much attention because Elizabeth Warren did some great uh she did some great work before she That's was That's one center. of her
1: motivating uh, issues around how she got involved in political life was fighting that very bankruptcy bill that Joe Biden like authored. you know, Authored
2: and defended. And yeah. so there's some real issues for the uh, Democrats to talk about. My next guest, we're going to do that as well, uh, is a cover of the Sun-Times. It made it seem as though the race for Congress uh, in the third congressional is all about personalities. But I think there's some issues in that race as well. So we're going to take a break, and then we'll be right back.
0: Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment weekly concert listings weekly event listings the environment travel I can continue but you get the point point. and for all of you Chicago political junkies raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky the Chicago Reader free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan
1: we've taken a position
2: so far and the candidates have through the process few have not about on basically medicare for all, which is we're going to eliminate 150 million people's health care, and we're going to provide health care for people that just come over the border. That is an untenable position for the general election. As you know, George, I just biked around Lake Michigan, nearly a 1,000 miles, through Michigan and Wisconsin, two really important states. Nobody at a diner ran at me and said, take my health care away. Nobody. This This is reckless as it relates to, and you don't have to take the position to win the primary, and you're basically literally hindering yourself for the general election.
0: I'm not running, but I'm gonna keep uh, working and speaking and standing up for what I believe. Oh, I wanna be sure that people understand I'm going to keep speaking out. I'm not going anywhere. What's at stake in our country? The kinds of things that are happening right now are deeply troubling to me. We've gotten not just polarized, we've gotten into really opposing camps unlike anything I've ever seen in my adult life. I've seen a whole lot of catfish, some turtles. Uh, No gators yet though.
2: Hey everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U, E, L, P, I, A, N, I, S, T, dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel.